Hi, Hope Markham. It's uh, great to be back. My name is Craig Turnbull. I think I said last time that I have had the privilege of uh, walking with you through multiple buildings and uh, multiple seasons of your church's life uh, to watch and witness God's faithfulness. And and also last time uh, coming and joining you in the midst of a global pandemic. And I know that that's still carrying on, but uh, so wonderful to be here today and to be ministering to you from God's word. A lot has happened in the past with your church, um, but a lot still going on in the world around us, right? Uh, We're going to get to Romans chapter 8 in just a second. Uh, So if you have a Bible, please turn there now. Uh, But there's a lot going on. Uh, We have crisis around the world. Uh, There's all that's happening in Ukraine. There's markets that are in flux. There's uh, inflation that continues to rise. There's food supplies and demands. There's oil prices that we're starting to feel painfully. There's the cost of housing. There's the social struggles around us. And oh yeah, there's that COVID thing still happening. Lots going on. I don't have the privilege of knowing many of you, but I'm willing to bet that in pretty much all of your lives, there's also something personal that's going on. Maybe it's a crisis of financial nature. Maybe it's a loss of job or loss of loved one. Maybe it's just anxiety as you face the future. Maybe it's a loneliness or a fear that you're facing. In addition to all that's going on in the world, there's lots going on in your hearts also, I'm willing to bet. Well, here's what I need you to do. Here's what God's word is calling us to do today. It's to lean in away from those things and to take a breath. And I want to show you something, some things that are actually more important. Now, hold on a second. It's not that I'm saying that war or inflation or financial crisis, or COVID, or job loss, or all that's going on in your life is not important. That's really important stuff. But what I'm saying is that what you're about to read and what we're about to study together is actually much more important. It's incredibly important for us all to understand. Before we read our text, and I'm going to piece through verse by verse, which may be a little different for you, but before we get to there, Romans, the book of Romans is a remarkable book. It's a letter written by Paul to introduce himself to a church that he's never actually ever met. And as he introduces himself to them, he goes through the gospel message over and over again. And at this point in his letter, in chapters 6, 7, and 8, he's actually dealing with a gigantic topic known as sanctification. Now, that's a big nerdy church word. It's found in the Bible, but it's a big nerdy word that you may not be familiar with. What sanctification is, is the scrubbing of the pots. It's the making of something clean. It's the polishing of silver. It's the refining of your life. It's making you look more and more like Jesus Christ. You were saved in Christ. That's justification. And now you are being saved in Christ today, daily, cleansed from the presence of sin. That's sanctification. That's where Romans 8 finds itself in. It's in this process of being sanctified. Uh, 
You see, the old master, our sinful flesh, has been put away by Christ and his punishment. But the old master, the sinful flesh, still wants to grab a hold of the wheel, still wants to take control of your life, still wants to take you where you don't necessarily want to go. Your sin wanting to drive you into new places, uh, promising you of old, exciting places, of delivering on none of the promises that it wants to give. Uh, bringing you pain and hurt and brokenness and sadness and hopelessness. And so that's why Paul writes the Romans and reminds them, don't fall again into your sin. Don't fall back into the old ways of life. Remember all that Christ has done. And really, that's the point of today's message, to encourage us to not let sin take the wheel again that it would not drive our lives again. Sin has been thrown into the back seat of our lives, and yeah, our sin nature within us is still pretty talkative, still pretty mouthy, still has some influence over us, but has no power over us any longer because of what Christ has done. The battle remains within us. But here's the great truth for us, that he who began a great work in us will carry it unto completion. Because we have the Holy Spirit now, We are freed. That's where Romans 8 is going to take us. Many people have described this chapter and some of the verses I'll read to you as the greatest chapter in the entire Bible. Uh, No pressure on that at all. Um, But Romans 8 really is this long parade. You ever been to a parade? Been to a parade recently? Probably seen one on TV, right? A parade that continues the glory of God. That's what Romans 8 is. And what we're going to see today are float after float of God's great and awesome glory in what he has done. And the point behind this is Paul's writing is to say, why would you go back to sin when you have all of this in front of you? These great and amazing gifts that God has given to you. Why would you ever turn back and listen to the backseat driver again? It's not time to live in sin any longer. It's time to live free. So again, the Holy Spirit has set the believer free in Christ and now freed to live for him. So listen, it's time to live free. You want the message in two words? That's it. Live free. I hope you stick with me a little longer though. Romans chapter 8, 1. Look with me at the verse in front of you. It starts, epically so. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're a note taker, you can jot this down. Living free means this firstly, that you are not condemned. Here's the first float in the parade of God's glory that the Holy Spirit is taking us to. It's this, no condemnation. There is no condemnation for you if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. You are no longer condemned in your sin. Now that word there for condemnation in the Greek is a word that carries with it the idea of judgment. You are no longer going to be judged because of your sin. And in the originals, the word no fronts the sentence. No, no, no judgment coming upon the follower of Jesus Christ. There is no longer any punishment coming from you because you are in Christ. Why is this? Verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. You are no longer condemned 
Because you are free. You are set free by the Spirit of God because of the work of Jesus Christ. And what was that work? Well, God the Father began it. Look at verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now that's complicated, admittedly so. But here's what verses 3 and 4 are saying. They're saying that God sent his Son to fulfill the law to set us free. Now a little backstory on this. I was thinking about how we can consider these first three verses and understand it in light of the gospel message. And I was thinking about if you were going to sit down with a friend and maybe explain this to you. I'm a big fan of back and napkin diagrams. Here's one for you right now. You see, this is the gospel message in a circle. At the beginning of all creation, God speaks life. He speaks planets into existence. He invents matter with his mouth, creates the seas, the sun, the stars, the planets, the earth, the ground, the animals. And at the last moment of creation, bringing in the pinnacle of his creation, God doesn't speak into existence any longer. Instead, he steps onto the plane of the earth and with his own hands gets his own hands dirty and molds and fashions mankind in his image and then puts his lips to man's lips and breathes life. This created being, mankind, created in the image of God, brought to existence by the breath of God. And created, God did, man for fellowship, for communion, for relationship, that God creating, not because he's lonely, not because he needed something, not because there's a deficiency in him. God is creating to share his great goodness with mankind. God is flowing down his goodness. But man doesn't want that. Man created as he has been is created with will and sees and is tempted and now decides that it's not good enough that God is in relationship with me. God is in authority over me, but I don't want that. And so man sins against God. You understand this, that the eating of the fruit in the Garden of Eden is not just eating fruit, right? This is not just a breaking of the law that God gave, right? This is mankind standing up and saying, I don't want to listen to God. Why does God have to be God over me? I get to be God. This is not breaking of the law. This is mankind making his own laws. This is mankind saying, I am now God. And that breaks the cycle. So what is God to do? God must punish the wrong that was done, but God also loves his creation. The best way to explain this to you is if you have children, you know what this is like. There's no way in your heart you can flick the switch that turns off the love for your kids. Parents, if you've ever seen a sick love, a little child at the crib side, every good parent says these words in their hearts. If I could just take that on me, I could bear that, and then they don't have to. We can't do that, but God can. 
And so God, clothed in humanity, enters into the plane of reality again. And this time with his own hands goes to the cross, sacrificing his life for us, that that reconciliation can occur and that we can be brought back into the presence of God. When mankind has broken the relationship, God steps in to bring us back home through Jesus Christ. And because Jesus has done this. Because Jesus has died for my sins, all the requirements of the law are met. My punishment is paid for 100%. And rather than being condemned in my sin, now the Lord condemns my sin. That means I won't be punished any longer for the foul mouth that I might have or the lies or the gossip or the mouth that dishonors God. I won't be punished for the addictions and the reliance upon things other than the Lord. I won't be punished for my sexual licentiousness and the delight in illicit things other than him. I won't be punishment in my continual discouragement and lack of sight upon God and lack of faith for him and trust for him who calls me to believe in him even in the darkest moments of this life. It means I won't be punished for my lack of patience and my anger and my frustration and my bitterness and the way I treat people far worse than I myself have been treated. It means that I won't be punished anymore for the pride that seeks to place me, me, in charge of my life and my priorities against the Lord and his great glory. It means I won't be punished for my lack of care for the loss or my lack of care for the hurting. It won't be punished for the hobbies that consume me and the controlling passions like shopping and hockey and sports and my kids' sports and clothing that can consume my time and attention and affection more than the Lord because the reality is is that all my punishments have been paid for upon the cross. All of my sins have been fully and completely quenched. And if I confess them, he is faithful and he is just to forgive them. And there is not one single sin, not even one that will be brought before me in heaven. No condemnation ever, follower in Jesus. Because Christ has done what he has done, there is not one ounce of anger against you any longer. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, there is only love, there is only favor. That's good news. Are you living like that, though? Is that how you're living this day? Are you living as though there is no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus? Well, honestly, I think probably not. I think maybe some of you are actually living differently than this. It's like you're walking around. You wondered why I brought my backpack up. It's like you're walking around with like this bag of condemnation. You know what I mean? You've got this bag of condemnation and everything that hits you, you're just like, that's me, I'm terrible. I'm a horrible, God's mad at me. God doesn't care about me. God doesn't, look at the, I just keep disappointing God and keep disappointing God and keep failing God. And you've got this hanging around your neck. You're picking up the bag and you're feeling like you need to carry the punishment of God again. Walking it around, carrying the guilt and the shame of decisions that were made and the steps that were taken, remembering the worst moments in your life before you came to Christ, remembering your worst moments in life after you came to Christ, and judging yourself and slamming it in the bag. But look, look at what you just read. There is no condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus. So listen, if you've got this bag on you, one of two things is happening. 
And the first one might surprise you. It's that you actually are still condemned because you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've never believed that Jesus Christ is the only way for salvation. You've kind of dabbled in Jesus all your life. You've kind of heard the Bible stories, but you haven't really actually cared. You've never actually bent the knee, professed the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior, repented of your sins, and turned away from your life. If that's you, then you're still carrying the bag. And if it's you and you're still carrying the bag, then you're in great danger that you've still got this thing on you. Or maybe you're like how I am. There was a moment in my life when I trusted in Jesus, but I keep going back to the bag. I keep picking up the bag. I keep filling it up with my own stuff. You understand that this is a tactic of the enemy. Your flesh wants you to judge yourself continually. Your flesh wants to remind you of the worst things that have happened in your life. Your flesh wants to tell you that you're worthless and useless and that God's mad at you and angry with you. Listen, the reality for both of us, whether you have never trusted in Jesus or you have and you just keep going back to the bag, the answer for both of us is just simply chuck the bag. Run to Jesus Christ. And drop the bag. Because there is no condemnation for those of us in Jesus. Okay, quickly, one more thing I want to say before I leave here. Condemnation is confused sometimes. Confused with two different words. Words that kind of sound familiar. Uh, Romans 8.1 said there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. But listen, condemnation isn't the same as conviction. Conviction maybe settling in on your heart right now. Maybe God's saying something to you right now. Uh, But here's how the flesh will work. The flesh will want you to be condemned. The flesh won't want you to be convicted. It will slip away from any kind of conviction. It will say, oh, that's the way you are. You kind of lose your temper sometimes. Or, you know, you've never really controlled that foul mouth, but it's okay. You can do that. Or everybody worries. Everybody's anxious. Everybody's kind of got that faith thing kind of struggling out. Everybody has this kind of struggle in their life. Everybody struggles with that. That's how your flesh will want to work you, away from conviction. Well, condemnation isn't the same as conviction, but then also condemnation ain't the same as consequences either. Sometimes sins bring consequences. Sometimes you can sin your way into a divorce, or you can sin your health into a bad place, or you can sin in relation to your kids that your kids can't ever forget the way that dad was, and that relationship is fractured for your life. Or maybe your finances tell the tale of your sin. And listen. Listen carefully now. And then, sometimes we carry the consequences of sin for others. Because they have sinned against me. I hurt. But here's the truth. Here's the great truth. Both for conviction and for consequences... You are never, ever, ever for a second meant to carry those alone by your own power. You see, here's the difference. Condemnation, condemnation is leading you to death. 
But conviction and consequences, when you feel the weight of the conviction, when you feel the weight of the consequences of sin, you are to turn your heart to the cross. You are to turn your heart to Christ for help in time of need. You are never meant to carry those things alone. So listen, while there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, yes, there's conviction. It's meant to drive you to Christ. And yes, there's consequences. It's meant to lead you to Christ. But living free means you are not condemned. Good. So good. And listen, that's just the first float in the parade I want to show you this morning. There's another. Back to verse 4. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, how is it we walk? Verse 5. For if those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. There's a contrast there, isn't there? Here's our second point. Living free means, secondly, that you will set your mind on the Spirit. Now, in this phrase we've come, in this passage we just read, we came across in, in multiple places this phrase, set your mind. The setting of the mind. In our English word, we just turn that into mindset, right? What is a mindset? This is not really a helpful, important definition to write down, but this is what it says. It's your go-to mental attitude that determines how you will interpret and respond to your situations. That's your mindset. It's how you think about your life right now and in the future. And why is that important? Why is it important that we need to understand how we think about our life now and into the future? Well, because there's some consequences that happen if we don't. Look at verse 6. For to set your mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Once again, we're called to live free. To be done with the old way of living. And to draw into this new life in the spirit. And if that is going to happen, we've got to reject condemnation. And we've also got to set our minds on the spirit. It means that you need to start thinking like a follower of Christ. How many of your anxieties would evaporate if you started thinking like a Christian? How many of your frustrations and your angers would be repented of if you started thinking like a Christian? How many of your disagreements with one another or with others would be resolved if you would start thinking like a Christian? Setting your minds on the spirit means you think like a Christian. Okay, well, think what, you ask? Okay, well, you think according to the Bible and what the Bible reveals itself and the truths of God's word that are timeless and inerrant and inspired and given for you that the man or woman of God might be complete and lacking in nothing. You think according to the word of God. You say, okay, I still need help. What do you think? Okay, well, in my study, I continually come across big truths from the Word of God. I'll give you three right now. Three big truths from the Word of God that we as believers are called to set our minds upon. Here's the first one. God is sovereign. God is sovereign over everything. 
In every event that you will ever face in your life, past, present, future, God is superintending and ruling over everything. That's a big truth. How would that change your heart and life today if you understood that everything you face, God is sovereign over? How about another one? This is not your final reality. This life and everything in it is not where you're going to live forever. This life is the bus ride that's going to take you to where forever is. Are you living this life as though it's the permanent reality? You ever been on a bus ride? I went to a theme park one time. They take you on a bus to the actual park. It's one of these giant theme parks that you park a mile and a half away and they ride you on the bus. One of my kids on the bus said to me, is this Disney World right now? No, this is just a bus ride. But when you're on the bus ride, is anybody standing up and decorating their their little spot and putting up little signs and there's my flowers and everything like this? And this is my, I'm living for the bus ride. Oh, this is everything we flew here to get to the bus ride. No one lives like that, right? But we live like that now. We live, don't we? Tempted to think that this is everything. The creaky, jointed body. This is it. It's as good as it's going to get. The world around us is as good as it's going to get. Sometimes, as Christians, we forget this is not our final reality. How would that change the way you lived if you started thinking like this? How about this one? The only hope for mankind is Jesus Christ. It's not in economic helps. It's not in political changes. It's not in financial help or social help of any kind. The only thing that changes a culture to the glory of God is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But as Christians, sometimes we hope in other things, right? If I can just make it to July and the vacation, if the gas prices would just come down, if we could maybe have housing that's affordable, The only hope for mankind is Jesus. How would that change? That's just three truths, by the way, from God's word. How would that change the way you live? Listen, what's the problem? What's not happening? Well, the problem is is that we are feeding our minds on anything but that stuff. You see, you understand that... the central organizing realities of life found in God's word. That stuff we don't think about enough. Listen, I get it. I've been there too. I've done my own share, even this week, of doom scrolling. You know, what's YouTube telling me? What's the Wall Street Journal telling me? What's CNN got to say? What's CBC telling me? What's the fringe media telling me? How about what God is telling me? How about what God's word is communicating to me? How about uh, uh, a few more truths? Uh, How about that I need to stop fearing man in whose nostril is breath? How about I need to remember that everybody that I face is going to live for a certain period of time? How about that I need to remember from God's word that it tells me that governments are taken down and put in place by God? How about that I need to remember that God will never leave me or forsake me even in the darkest moments of this life? How about that I need to remember that the gates of hell will not prevail against the kingdom of heaven? How about that I need to remember that that I need to store up for myself treasures in heaven where moth and rust can't come in and take it away? How about that I need to remember that the worst they can do is kill me? That's it. 
And then I arrive at the destination. Believer, listen, you are called to live free. So set your minds on the thing of the Spirit and that truth. Lord, help us right now. Lord, help us right now to be a people who are controlled by the truth and not by the headlines that we might read. You say, okay, Pastor Craig, Pastor Craig, what are the steps? What do I need to do? I told you, it's just God's word. You're saying, well, I need the steps. I need the steps to get into God's word. It's just God's word. Just read God's word. You're like, but I need steps. Okay. You want steps? Step number one, find your Bible. Step number two, feed upon your Bible. Step number three, filter everything you see and hear through the word of God. Step number four, flourish. Maybe step number five, you want another F? Have fun. Maybe for you, that means you need to come back to church weekly. Maybe this is an anomaly that you're here today, or maybe you're watching online. You're like, I need to be back with the people of God again. Maybe you need to get connected in community here at our church. Join one of the classes, get involved in one of the groups. Hey, listen, candidly speaking, hey, great that we can go to the movies again. Great that we can go to the gym. Great that we can travel again. Great that even some of us have the freedom to take off the masks. But maybe before all of this, we should actually care about whether we're going to get bulldozed by the world and start doing something about it. You say, come on, guest pastor of overreaction. Come on. What are the consequences? Verse 6, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If you're in Christ, you're called to live free. Do you think it's pleasing to God when you're scrolling through news feeds all day, when you're glutting yourself on social media threads? Do you think it's pleasing to God when you're diving into conspiracy after conspiracy after conspiracy after conspiracy and conspiracy and maybe this and maybe that and maybe this? But you know what? So what? Maybe it's true. Maybe that's all true. What does that change your daily life? What are you going to do with it? And all the while, the truth that God has given to us is so infrequently fed upon by emaciated Christians who are lulled to sleep, let off into panic, or jump off into rage. And if they do read the Bible, sometimes they just read future stuff, you know? Future focus. I'm reading Revelation. Future, 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 future. And maybe this is this, and maybe this is this, and future, future, future. And maybe I'm seeing this, and maybe I'm seeing that, and future, future, future. Hey, 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 that's great. Study God's word. But prophecy in the Bible is given for telling the future in order to inspire present-day obedience. Read your Bible. Read Revelation. That's wonderful. But how's that going to change you to love your wife more, to work hard in what God has called you to, to not complain, to be patient with people, to rejoice in the Lord even in the midst of suffering, to pray for people, to repent of your sins, to open the eyes of your heart, and even now see that that's what God wants for you. Listen, do you take your faith seriously? Now more than ever, be in the word of God. The consequences are too grave. The Lord Jesus himself warned in Matthew's gospel that the love of many will grow cold. Don't let that be you. 
Now, hold on a second. Time out. Because I think some of you are kind of going back here. And you're like this. Even while I'm talking, you're like, yeah, you know, I haven't been in the Word. And yeah, you know, I'm kind of... Don't do that. Don't do... Conviction, right? If the Lord is convicting you of this, that's wonderful. Then you run to the Lord. Lord, yes, help me repent of this. Make me a man. Make me a woman who loves your word. Too much is riding on it. My marriage is riding on it. Families are riding on it. Individuals are riding on it. And cities and nations are riding upon this. The church needs Christians to be hungry for the word of God. We're called to live free. So dive in. Live actually like Jesus is alive. Surrendering to the Holy Spirit's work within us. We lean in as he leads us, away from condemnation, to set our minds upon him. And now verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but are in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Paul reminds the Romans again that if they are in Christ, this is not only something that we're supposed to do, but it's also possible because the Holy Spirit dwells within us. If we are a follower of Jesus, there's a new driver in our front seat, and it's the Holy Spirit. But if, he says, you don't have that driver, then you actually don't belong to Jesus. But what great news, again today, God is calling you to him, maybe even for the first time. Repent and trust in Jesus. But verse 10 But if you are in Christ, if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. You may have been dead in your sin, but now you are alive in the spirit. No longer a slave, but a child to God. All right, that's awesome, but it gets even better. Look at verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, if in fact you're saved, if in fact you're saved in Christ, brace yourself for this. You ready? Another float in the parade is coming up then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Listen, it's time to live free, no longer under condemnation, setting our minds upon the spirit. And now, finally, we recognize this, that living free means you're going to live forever. This is the final parade I'm going to show you this morning in Romans 8. But if you want to keep reading, you can see more and more and more of them because the whole chapter is about God's great glory. But the three we've seen, I'm not going to face condemnation. I have the ability to set my mind on the spirit and now I get to live forever. Translation again, this life is not all there is. This life's going to end. But because the Holy Spirit is at work within us, our mortal bodies will be given life. So question, How's your longing for heaven going? Do you know what I've observed? I've observed that the people who long for, the heaven, or long for heaven the most are the people who are in the most pain. Believers facing the most suffering. God's severe providence over their lives that leads them to lean in. The world doesn't have the stickiness it used to because of the loss, because of the pain, because of the sickness. But this can also happen for those of you here today who aren't in that place. You can have that drawing into heaven, that love for heaven, with a deeper confession and awareness of your sin. 
with a deeper awareness of God's word, the truth, with a more deeper prayer life, or even with sacrifice. In other words, as you release your grip on the world, where you were truly made for comes into focus. This is just another little gauge in your life, by the way, that the Lord has given you to check your spiritual health. I'll just ask this. If I have spent zero time this week longing for the Lord and longing for heaven, could it mean that maybe I'm just a little too in love with this place? Another way you can tell if you love something or someone, when it's gone, when it's not right there in front of you, or it's threatened to be gone, you begin to ache. You begin to get angry. You begin to get anxious. If you think about things that you love in your life, would any of that ring true? How's your longing for heaven? And what does that say about you? Now here I need to say again, time out. Because some of you, you're going back to that bag again. And you're trying to pick it up. I long for heaven. I'm, I'm just. Listen, that's not what the Lord's calling you to. This is conviction, right? God, in repentance, I've loved you too little. What are you showing me right now? What are you showing me about my heart and where I'm at right now? Maybe a little too preoccupied. Maybe a little too in love with these things. Paul writes the letter of Romans to remind the Roman people, this is what it looks like. Why would you ever turn back to the old way of living? And he begins this chapter with these three amazing floats of God's great glory. Look, don't run back to the old way of life. I mean, why would you? You have no judgment looming over you. You're not condemned. You're free. You have the ability to have truth infused into your life and be led according to truth and not be flip-flopping like a fish out of water in this world. And then also you have an eternity given to you by the one who's loved you so much. Why would you ever go back? If the Lord has done this and the Holy Spirit has done this in your life and he's working even in you in right now, why would you settle for any less? Listen, it's time, it's time, it's time. I know that two years is a long time. I know it's hard. But it's time, brother. It's time, sister, to start living free. It's time to set that stuff aside it's time to start running with endurance the race that's set before you. It's time to start fixing your eyes again on Jesus, who has loved you so much and who calls you to live free. Let me pray for us now. God, we thank you for your word, which really makes sense that it's double-edged. You're kind enough to tell us the truth 
and to cut away, even when it hurts. These lesser loves in our lives, these things that we cling to. But it's also healing at the same time. Because as your word pulls through us, causing us to reflect upon who we are in you, it also calls us to draw into you the one who has loved us so much. We thank you, Lord, for the believers in this room right now who are feeling that conviction, that weight upon them. I pray, God, that you would do that work and draw them in. Maybe today it was a seeing the Lord Jesus more glorious than ever before. Maybe today it was recognizing the wasteland, doldrum place that they're in and leaning into you. Maybe it's just wanting a change, God. Please, Lord, I pray that you be working in hearts in this room. But also, Lord, maybe there's one or two or more here today who are considering this Jesus for the very first time. That this good news of a God who has loved them so much from before even the foundations of the world and that who gave his life for them that they might have forgiveness of sins and freedom to live for you and freedom to be in community with you and to be eternally in fellowship with you, God. Now that message is ringing true for the very first time. Lord, we pray that you would be doing your hidden work in their hearts of repentance and drawing them near to you. God, I pray that you would even prepare our hearts now as we uh, turn to worship you and then even at the conclusion of our service, turn to remember the Lord's great work for us. Lord, we thank you. As we began this message, Lord, we recognize we're the people of the resurrection. It's still true. And because you have been raised from the dead, we can live free in you. Thank you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.